to talk about a message simply entitled Messiah. How can we leave the past behind and become all that God wants us to be in 2010? How can we do this? All of us have regrets. All of us have failures and we all have got them. How do we move past those to become all that God wants us to become as we move into 2010? You know what? It can happen in a moment's time. We can move past those regrets in a moment's time with God's help. You take the Redskins. Everything <laughs> that they have been through, how terrible the season has been, uh, the sh the, just the, sh the incredible shame that was heaped upon them last week in that game, all of that can be wiped out tonight as they defeat the Dallas Cowboys. It's all gone. It's all gone in a moment's time by the grace of God. Amen? So, that's what we want to talk about today. How do we move past those regrets? How do we move past sin and shame to become all that God wants us to be? This is what I want to talk about this morning. So, I've got some regrets. I want to tell you about a regret that, that I have or a little thing that I've gone through recently. I have said for years, I've said this, I will never have a dog. I've said, I will never have a dog. Okay? And... My son is total agreement with me on this, but my wife and my daughter have been working on me for years about this thing. And, and, and in a moment of weakness, somehow, I don't know how, they drugged me or something, but I agreed, apparently, to getting a dog. And I have a whole series of regrets now after having that dog. I mean, my first major regret was at 1 o'clock in the morning in my backyard as I walked that dog, right? <laughs> The one who definitely didn't want the dog. And then it happened again just three hours later at 4 o'clock in the morning when, again, I walked the dog. And then every time there was a puppy accident, right, or every time there was a puppy smell in the house, a puppy smells, or there was puppy cleanup duty, all of those things, puppy costs, you know, those puppies cost a lot of money. The regrets, they just piled up. The first morning after the puppy came to live in our home, this is like worse than having a baby. The first morning after coming, the puppy coming to live in our home, I was rushing around. I was, you know, I couldn't, it was like I was running late. I was trying to get to the office, and it wasn't because I had overslept, because I only slept three hours, right? So I'm rolling, and I, I was, had been up since 4 o'clock in the morning, and now it's 8 o'clock, and I'm trying to get out the door for four hours with all the stuff to do with the puppy and the puppy playpen and the crate and all the toys and the mess and all this kind of stuff. And I'm running out to the car. I'm throwing all my stuff in the car. Get in the car. I'm pulling it out of the garage and something feels totally wrong. Like something's wrong. I'm thinking to myself, what's wrong here? Something's wrong. I'm missing something. Shoes. I didn't have any, I didn't have any shoes on. I've never, I've never done that in my life. So I have huge regrets about things like that. So, Last Sunday, we didn't have church, right? Remember last Sunday? It seems like a world away now, doesn't it? But last Sunday, we, we didn't have church because we had all that snow. Our deal is is that when the county closes down uh, the school system, they close down their, their offices or whatever, that we can't, we can't be here. So we didn't have it. And so early uh, that morning, Sunday morning, I noticed signs started going up all over our house announcing a church service. It said, church in the basement. At 8.45 a.m., there'd be a church service. So I arrived just a few minutes before 8.45, and what I noticed when I walked in, there was all these rows of chairs, and there were these baby dolls sitting on the chairs, right? They were like pews all set up, and there was three vacant chairs, one for me, one for my wife, one for my son. And on those chairs was a hymn, a traditional 
Christmas hymn, right, printed out, put it on, on the chair. And at 8.45, my 10-year-old daughter walked in, the one who had advocated so much for the puppy, and it's the only reason we have the puppy. She is the only reason we have the puppy. She comes in and calls the service to order. And she leads us in singing. She has a prayer. And then um, she reads the scripture of, you know, the Christmas story. And it, she, I mean, she does the whole thing, and she's, she's doing it up. And then she gets the puppy. And she takes the puppy and lifts the puppy up. And she says, Butterscotch, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I dedicate you to the service of the Lord. Now, that's how my Sunday went last week. You know, God has, God has an amazing way of helping us past our regrets. Because it was in that moment I thought, whoa. What can I, you know, what can I say about that? That's, that's... That's pretty powerful. All right. Hey, we better pray. All right. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, God, so much for your goodness. I want to thank you that as we come to the close of 2009, we can look forward to a, to a fresh start in 2010. But, God, we've got some work to do. There's, there's some things that you want to do in our lives that need to be cleared out of the way so that we can move forward. And, and we know it, too. And we just look to you, God, for your help and for your mercy and for your grace in order to do that. Uh, speak to us today, Father, through your word. In Christ's holy name, amen. Uh, this year is the 250th anniversary of the death of George Friedrich Handel. Uh, he is best known for the Messiah, which he wrote. But Handel actually wrote over 40 operas. And when he wrote The Messiah, it's not The Messiah, it's actually just simply Messiah, which is probably the most performed piece of classical music that we have. He wrote that to be an Easter song, but now it has become known as a Christmas song all around the world, and it is just played constantly in this Christmas season. Beethoven said that Handel was probably the greatest composer that ever lived in his day. Now, he was born in Germany, but in his adult years, young adult years, he moved to London, and he spent the rest of his life there in London, and he lived and died, and there's a museum there in his honor. And I want to tell you a few things about Handel and talk about Messiah just as an introduction here this morning. Handel actually had a tremendous temper, had a bad temper with, you know, as incredible as he knew the scriptures and what he did with his work, he had a really bad temper, and, uh, you know, I've made jokes about musicians often and, and, and their deal, but this will speak for itself. He was down in, a, in an orchestra pit with one of his very good friends, and they got in a fight about who was to sit where in the orchestra pit, and they actually had a duel, what they were planning to do, a duel to the death. And so they whipped out swords, and they went at it. And Handel had this coat on that had these huge metal buttons. And his friend went to stab him, and it hit that button. That's the only thing that saved his life. Well, I guess that shocked him so much that they called the uh, duel off, and they were, remained great friends for many, many years to come. But Handel had this huge temper. One day he had a soloist. This is an opera he was conducting. He had this soloist in a practice who refused to do every single thing that he wanted. She was, a, she was Italian. Her name was Francesca Cusini. Like, I just like saying that, Francesca Cusini. So Francesca wouldn't do everything so he got so mad, he ran up on stage, and there was an open window just off the stage, and he picked her up and ran over to the window like he was going to throw her out the window. And he said, you are a true she-devil, but I am Beelzebub. 
And uh, this, is, this is his attitude. This is the temperament of, uh, of Handel. All right. Uh, he, he, in the summer of 1741, he wrote what we now have as Messiah. What had happened is because of, of some bad investments that Handel had made along the way, he was broke and he was depressed and he had suffered a stroke in 1737 at the age of 52. He couldn't play an instrument anymore and he could not conduct. And he completely gave up on the opera business which he had been into. But he read the words of an opera which was basically Old Testament scriptures of the prophecy of Christ and it so moved him that he spent the entire summer of 1741 from sunup to sundown writing this thing that we know today as the Messiah. And one day... His assistant came up and found Handel, reserved guy that he was, in complete tears. And they said, what, you know, what, what happened? And he said this, he said, I just had a vision of heaven. And heaven opened up before me, and I saw the face of God. And in that moment, this is what he wrote. We're going to try to play it for you, not the original piece. But we're going to try to, if we can go ahead and play that piece, this is what he wrote when he saw heaven open up. You recognize that? Thank you. That's good. So that's the famous chorus line of Handel's Messiah. Now, a lot of people think, well, that's the only thing that goes to Handel's Messiah. But actually, Handel's Messiah is three hours long for those of you who have been to it. And it is chock full of mainly Old Testament scriptures of the prophecy of Jesus Christ. It opened up in Dublin, Ireland on April 13, 1742 to a packed house of people. Not only did people want to hear Handel because Handel was a musical superstar, but his soloist name was Susanna Cyber, and Susanna Cyber was going through a scandalous divorce, and people wanted to come to just catch a glimpse of her and the divorce she was going through and all the shame that she was suffering for that, and people wanted to come, and they just wanted to see her. And so the management of Music Hall, where it debuted in, just pleaded with women of the day not to wear those big hoop dresses because said those hoop dresses just take up way too much room and we got to make it so so they didn't wear the hoop dresses and 700 people packed in to the place to see this performance uh the messiah is in three parts part number one and uh, they're basically all an hour long part number one is all the prophecies of jesus christ from the old testament his life uh, his birth, his death, his resurrection, all that part two is about his human sacrifice. And the third part is about the fact that Christ will rise from the dead and that he will return one day. And so about halfway through all this, Susanna Cyber comes forward, the person going through this terrible divorce, she comes forward, and of all songs that Handel gave her to sing, she sings the prophecy about Jesus Christ from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. He was acquainted with grief and sorrow. And she sang that song about shame and regret and pain. She sang that song with so much emotion that in the audience was a, was a minister. His name was Reverend Patrick Delaney. That when she got done singing, he jumps to his feet and he shouts out across this crowded music hall, is woman, for this, all of your sins are forgiven. Jesus Christ was well associated and acquainted with sin and with shame because all of that was put on him. The Christmas story has so 
much to do with shame. It is actually the life of Jesus Christ is bathed in shame. Think about this, everybody. Think about uh, the shame of Mary and what she went through. Being rejected, we know from reading the Scriptures, it would seem as if the only person that believed her and he did not believe her in the beginning was Joseph. And the shame that she suffered as she was rejected by everybody, even her own family. You think about Joseph and the shame that he suffered. It was enough shame that now his betrothed wife was pregnant. That was enough shame. But on top of that, God appears to him and says, yeah, what she's telling is the truth. Now everybody is looking at him. Now think about this. We are often conditioned from the Christmas story that we think that for some reason, the moment that Mary and Joseph showed up in Bethlehem, presto, she was ready to have the baby, right? That's the way we do all our Christmas plays. They show up in Bethlehem and, oh, hey, it's time to give birth. But that's not what the Scripture says. If you read Luke chapter 2, it says, while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the giving of the birth. While they were. So they'd been in Bethlehem. Who lives in Bethlehem? Joseph's family lives in Bethlehem. So Joseph had family members in Bethlehem, and they had been there for a while. Now, what's important in that culture 2,000 years ago? Hospitality. Even to strangers. You had to be hospitable. To str- you had to, but your own family, it was like a requirement. You had to be hospitable. And to give birth, there was nothing more special in that day than to give birth. And so because of all those factors coming together, there is no way a family member of Joseph would allow Joseph's wife to give birth other than in a place that is like in a home where she is guarded and shielded. There's no way, but there was no home made available to them. Why? Because everybody was ashamed of Joseph and of Mary. The entire Christmas message is bathed in shame. And how about the shepherds? Of all occupations that God could have chosen to let know about the birth of the Messiah of the world, right? Why shepherds? Because shepherds lived in shame. Shepherds, because of their occupation, because people felt they could never tell the truth, and because of all the mistakes that they had made, they were not allowed in worship in the temple. They couldn't even enter the doors. In the court of law, they couldn't even give a testimony because the shame that was on them. So we got Mary, we've got Joseph, we've got the shepherds. Jesus Christ lived a life of shame. And then the way he dies on the cross. There was no more shameful way to die in the world 2,000 years ago than to die on a cross. The entire Christmas message in the life of Christ is completely bathed in shame. I want to talk for just a few moments here about a couple things that I see in Scripture about how we can get a fresh start and move past some of the shame. And the first one is this. We need to turn on to Jesus' way. On to the Jesus' way. And when I say that word, I mean it this way. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way. And he speaks about his way like being like a road, like a highway, like an avenue, like a street. Here's my path. Here's my way of doing things. Turn on to Jesus' way. This is what he's calling us to do. And you've got to say to yourself, okay, a road. He's a street. He's a highway. But a road to where? Where does he want to take us? Where does he want to take me? 
What exactly does God want to do with my life? Everything that you read about and think about Jesus Christ must be filtered through Isaiah chapter 61. Because Isaiah chapter 61 is the way that Jesus Christ began his ministry. And look, you know, what happens so often in this world is Jesus is so politicized. Or or people take Jesus and want to do all kinds of things with him. To make him say this or make him say that. And when we think about Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, immediately most people just immediately bristle and they say, well, man, that's just an exclusionary statement. Jesus, even though it is exclusionary, his purpose was not to be exclusionary. His purpose was totally different. You have to think about Isaiah 61 and the way Jesus Christ began his ministry and what is his purpose? What is the intent of the ministry of Jesus Christ to us? What has he come to bring to this world? And so here's the words of Isaiah 61. Jesus stands up in the synagogue of Nazareth and begins his ministry by reading this. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to announce that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel... He will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, and praise instead of despair. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will inherit a double portion of prosperity and everlasting joy. Jesus Christ did not come to this earth to point out sin and shame in our lives so that we could feel terrible about it. Jesus Christ came to deliver us from sin and shame to lift that off of us. It is human beings often that will come and want to heap shame upon us. But Christ's mission and goal in our life is to lift the shame off of us. Clearly, this is what he says here. Instead of shame, he wants to bring us honor. Instead of shame, he wants to bring us joy. Now, how do we experience that? What does the Jesus way look like? I'm just going to try to take a quick stab at this if I can. I want to use three words. They're not on your outline if you like to follow the outline in the back. Um, I just want to write a couple words down for you. And the first one is simply this. It's, it's sin. Sin. What is right in the middle of that word sin? I. I. This is the, this is the conflict between my way. I think this about this. I want to do this. I want to. You think about Adam and Eve in the garden. What was the problem in the garden? God says, okay, just go down this path. Take this highway. Take this journey. And what do they say? They say, you know what? We'd rather do it our way. So the Bible is filled with all kinds of wonderful principles that can guide our lives. Wonderful principles. And what do I do many times in my own life? I say, you know what? I'd rather do it my way i have my own highway and my highway my own highway leads me into a lot of sin and as a result of that it leads me to shame it leads me to shame so the first thing we have to deal with is the i right in the middle of sin sin simply is this it's missing the mark of god's best for you god's best for me that's all sin is it's just missing that mark So we have to go down God's highway. That's the first word that is very important to us. We have to take God's way. The second word is this. And this is really critical to getting past sin and shame. It's grace. Grace. We have to understand grace. So what is grace? 
you know, and I've talked about this often, we say in the Christian church that we believe theologically in the concept of grace, but it has been my experience that we actually don't practice it. So grace is simply this. It means there's nothing I can do to earn it, and there's nothing I can do logically as a result of there's nothing I can do. Reason tells me there's nothing I can do to earn it. Then there is what? Nothing I can do to what? Lose it. Logic and reason tell you if there's nothing you can do to earn something, then there's nothing you can do to lose something. I've lived my life on a performance basis with God. And because I live my life on a performance basis with God and I have a hard time grasping grace, maybe some of you uh, are like me, but this is my deal. I have a really hard time grasping that concept of grace. Because of that, I really struggle when other people wrong me and then I struggle with my own wrongs that I've done to myself. Mistakes. Where I've gone wrong. And I just, man, it just heaped upon me. Ephesians 2.8 says, It is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace saved from what? what? What are we saved from? Isaiah 61. We're saved from our own shame, our own mistakes, our own regrets. So we need the grace of God. The last word is this. The past. Sin, grace, and the past. You know, the Apostle Paul... The Apostle Paul fought a battle for most of his life. He fought a battle with the thoughts in his mind. Maybe some of you can identify. I can identify with that. And here's the battle that he had. He had, he had made some really bad mistakes in his life. He'd done some really bad things. Um, when, when Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church, uh, was executed, Paul was grabbing people's coats so they could quickly stone him. Paul was imprisoning men, women, and children for being followers of Christ. And those scenes and those cries of the people who he hurt so badly and, and, and all of that was in his brain. The horror that he had done was in his brain. And he fought a battle for most of his life because he was having a real difficult time forgiving himself for the atrocities that he had done. And so he writes to us in Philippians chapter 3. He says, this is what I have to do, everybody. He said, I have to forget about the past, and I have to put it behind me. And instead, I have to strive forward to become all that I can be in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus backs that up in, John, in Luke 9.62 when he says, you can't put your hand to the plow and look backwards. But don't we do that? You know, it's bad enough that we're going to have, and it's Christmas time, right? And we're all been around, maybe family and friends that we're not usually around a lot. And when we get around a bunch of family and friends, man, sometimes they remind us of stuff, don't they? Sometimes they do it verbally or sometimes it's just that look. Or sometimes all you got to do is see them. You're still living where? You're still in what job? You're not married yet? What's wrong with you? You're still living in that house that you've been for 10 years? You remember when you did that? Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? We get around certain people during the holidays, and the shame is enormous. You know, Christmas time is one of the most depressing times of the year. 
And it probably is that way for a lot of reasons, but I think one of the reasons why it's such a depressing time is we are reminded of our faults and our failures and our shortcomings and what we don't have or what we should have done. And the shame is incredible. We can't allow our minds to dwell on that kind of stuff. We can't keep looking back. What, what was the problem with the children of Israel when they were in the desert? So God sets them free from Pharaoh, something that nobody thought could ever be done. Nobody thought that could ever be done. And God sets them free. And then while they're in the desert, what do they keep doing? They keep looking back. So if we want to go back to Egypt, we would rather be slaves again. Hey, Jesus Christ can die on the cross a million times for you and for me. But until we stop looking back at our failures and our shame, we will never be free. John 8, 36, Jesus Christ says, I came to set you free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. You've got to stop looking back. You've got to leave 2009 and all of those other years. You've got to, you've got to let all that go. If you're in a situation where you keep reminding somebody around you of their faults and failures, maybe, maybe the doorway to your own freedom, getting free of your own problems and stuff where you're bound up inside, is to release them from all that junk that they did. But you've got to let it go. You've got to put your hand to the plow and not look back. Sin, grace, past. Three really important things. Turning on to Jesus' way. I guess there's one other thought here, and that is this. Turn on your flashers. So we're talking about the road theme here, the highway, being on a street. So what happens when you're out in your car and you turn the flashers on? Why does somebody turn their flashers on? What's the purpose of flashers on? Anybody know? You want to do what? You want people to see it. You're drawing attention to yourself. Don't run into me. I'm on the side of don't plow into me and hurt me in my car. My flash is on. I want you to see me. I want you to see me. We talk a lot uh, here, and the Bible talks a lot about this too, about searching to find God. I'm on a search to find God. But you know what? The Bible also talks about this. It talks about uh, God finding us. The need for us to make ourselves visible, like, oh, God, over here, come and find me. I need you to come and find me. Adam and Eve in the garden. What is the first thing they did when they blew it? What's the first thing they did? They went into hiding. In their relationship with God, they went into hiding. And then there's this really cool thing that happens. We're told the next thing is that God shows up and God asks a question. He's Adam and Eve, where are you? Now, that's a funny question, isn't it? For uh, an all-knowing God to ask, where are you? Really? You don't know where they are? Do you think God didn't know where they were? I think God knew exactly where they were. So why, why the question? Why in the world does Genesis include that in there? I just want to speculate. I think what God is saying to us, everybody, is that if we really want to hide from God, if we want to hide ourselves in our sin and shame from God, He will allow us to do so. He will allow us to do so. We can cover it up, hold it back, think for some reason God's not going to see it. But whatever we cover up, whatever we hold back, God can't heal. He can't transform. 
He can't change. He can't do anything with it until we bring it out there and say, okay, here it is. Here it is for you to see. Now, God, will you take it and, and do something with it? We have to trust God's love enough that when he finds us in the midst of our sin and our shame, that he will love us and not expose us and not shame us more. We have to trust God that way. Uh, Samson. We're going to be doing this. I can't wait to get into this series on Samson in June because this guy lived a fascinating life. When you're talking about Samson, he... He is the envy of every guy, every male that lived in his day. I mean, he was, uh, you all watch that UFC fighting thing? Anybody watch the, the, okay. Dave, thank you for your honesty. No shame in that. No shame in that. I grew up, I grew up watching uh, boxing back when like Muhammad, when it was on TV, right? Before you had to do the pay-per-view. And so, uh, uh, I don't know, I blame I guess my dad for that, but I, I, I really we went to all the fights, the Sugar Ray Leonard, and it, it was, and I even boxed for a short time. I don't know why, but I boxed for a short time myself. I'll never forget my boxing coach used to always tell me to hit the other guy in the heart, hit him in the heart, hit him in the heart. Whoa. Anyway, thought I'd just share that with you. <laughs> so this guy, this guy, Samson, man, he's like. You know, he's like the greatest warrior that ever lived. He could jump in the ring with ten of the greatest warriors and just like blow them all out without any problem whatsoever. This guy was incredible and the envy of everybody. And his enemies were constantly after them. And he was always humiliating them, the enemies of God. And he was doing this stuff. And then one day, uh, he got brought down. And man, he got brought down hard. He had made a series of mistakes. It wasn't one mistake. It was a long series of mistakes. Mistake, mistake, mistake. And finally it caught up with him. And his enemies captured him and they gouged out. They ripped out his eyes. They didn't kill him. They wanted to keep him alive so they could humiliate him as long as possible. And they would lead him around on a chain. Finally one day... Samson musters the courage up to go before a holy God, right? He wasn't talking to God at all. I mean, have you ever been there? You ever felt so bad that you felt like, I can't even, you know, there's no way I can go to God and say, hey, God, can you, you know, can you see me like this? And all of my sin and shame, I don't want you to see me. I don't want anybody to see me. I don't don't want you to see me. But he musters the courage and he prays this prayer. Very short, very powerful, everybody. He says, God, remember me. Remember me. What was he doing? He's turning his flashes on. He's saying, God, I'm going to trust you enough to come and find me in the midst of my sin and my shame. Why is it important that we do this? Because we cannot be all that God wants us to be and has in store for us to be in 2010 unless we deal with our own shame and our regrets. We have to put them behind us. We have to deal with sin. We have to deal with grace. We have to deal with our past. We have to deal with our regrets. We have to trust God's love enough that no matter what we expose to Him, He will love us. Look, I want to say this to you. There is absolutely nothing that you can do in life to take your shine off of you in the eyes of God. You might think, oh my gosh, I've done this and this and this. God looks at me and I'm, I'm a damaged vessel. 
God does not look at you that way. There is absolutely nothing that you could do to take the shine off your shiny and new in the eyes of God. 1 John 3.1 says that God poured out his love on us and that he calls us his children. God's love for us goes way beyond what we can ever imagine. Last scripture, Romans 10.11 says this. Anyone who trusts in him, who trusts in Jesus, will never be put to shame. So I want to end this way. Uh, our, our prayer team is going to be in our prayer room over here. We always have communion. And I want to tell you, uh, if I was sitting where you were, you know, I, people find this hard to believe. I'm actually a shy person. Like when I was in school, I'd never raise my hand. I know sometimes I ask for feedback from you. I would never give feedback because I just, I just wouldn't, you know. I went through my entire seminary and never asked one question. So I'm just, I'm shy. Just, whoo, just, you know, service is over. I'm going to go out the door. Uh, that's it for me. So I want you, I understand. But, but this is important. And here's the reason it's important, because I really do believe what I said a few minutes. I, I think that 2010, God has great things in store for Grace Community Church. And I want to bring it down to a personal level to you. I think God wants to do great things to this church. You know why? Because God wants to do great things in the lives of individuals in this church. And in order for that to happen, I've got to deal with some stuff. I've got to allow God to deal with some stuff in me and, and move past that. Now, Sometimes it happens in just a moment's time. In just a moment's time where I'll go to prayer or somebody be praying for me and I will just feel whatever heaviness is on me, it'll just lift. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I want to say this. I just want to encourage you. We want to launch into 2010. God loves you. You can trust him with everything. Um, anybody who wants to, I just had told the prayer team, just, we're just going to say a quick prayer. If you'd like to go in, just before you can go into 2010, pray, hey, God, you don't have to, you don't have to expose anything in that. Just going to pray. God bless you. God, just do everything he wants to do in your life in an awesome way. So I'm going to pray, and the music team's going to come up. We're going to sing a final song. And if you'd like to stop by, God bless you. Um, hope you would. And uh, just want to say as we're ending out 2009, I love you. Uh, you guys are an incredible group of people, and it's a privilege for me and my family to be a part of Grace Community Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for how much you love us. I thank you that you just pour out your love upon us, that you never, ever hesitate to claim us as your children. You're not like up there saying, ah, I'm not sure I want to claim them today. God, you do that all the time. You just claim us immediately without hesitation. And I thank you, Lord, for the good things that you have in store for us in the days ahead. Lord, help every single one of us. Every one of us in this room has regrets. Some of us, deep shame this morning. Some of us, you know, medium-sized shame. Whatever it might be, we all are struggling with stuff. Father, I pray that this morning, that every one of us would have the opportunity to walk out of this place today not feeling the heaviness of that on us, but feeling it lifted, the burden removed, so that, God, we could just launch forward in you. Bless every single person in this room today. Let your will be done and your kingdom come in 
all of our lives. In Christ's holy name.